0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's Warrior and IgA Nephropathy Warrior, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of those with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, let's get to it. Well, hi, everyone. My guest today is Professor Ed Cohen, who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at age 13 and has now been living with IBD for over half a century. Crohn's nearly killed him in his early 20s, and the only outlook his doctors ever gave him was that the best he could hope for would be periods of remission. Professor Cohen has spent his life in search of better health and just had his book published on learning to heal or what medicine doesn't know, where he draws on 50 years of living with Crohn's disease to consider how Western medicines turn from an art of healing towards a science of medicine deeply affects both medical practitioners and their patients. Thank you so much for joining me today, Professor Cohen, and welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So before we jump into your Crohn's story, I want to mention that you have a Ph.D. in modern thought from Stanford, and for the last three decades, you have been an award-winning professor of women's gender and sexuality at Rutgers University. So can you share a little bit more about your background and what you're doing today?
1: Um. Oh, well... I'm doing a lot of things today. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I I am a professor um, at Rutgers in Women's, Gender and Sexuality Studies. Um, And I teach students uh, mostly to ask questions about ideas that they assume are Um, self-evident. For example, that there is something like sexuality or that there's something like race or there's something like ethnicity. And uh, I try to help them understand that things that we often take to be self-evident are not necessarily so self-evident, that they came to seem self-evident at particular points in history for particular reasons, uh, and that uh, if we don't assume <clears throat> that that's the only way to think, then there might be other possibilities for not only how we can think, but how we can live. So <clears throat> that's also... Related to my my Crohn's story, because one of the things that I've learned in the course of my 50 years with Crohn's, this is my golden anniversary. I'm like celebrating <clears throat> because when I was first diagnosed, it wasn't clear that I would live this long. So um, I'm very happy to still be here. <clears throat> and one of the things that you know I've discovered through my scholarly work um, is that you know the assumptions that people make not just about Crohn's, but about all so-called inflammatory bowel diseases or autoimmune diseases um, <clears throat> are particular ways that, you know, medicine has come to understand certain phenomenon that it actually doesn't really know that much about, um, you know. And so one of the things that I try to do uh, in addition to teaching our Rutgers, I also have a counseling practice where I work with people, well, who are interested in healing, but that often is people with chronic and life threatening illnesses. Um, and I try to help people understand well, you know, what is it that medicine has taught you about what's going on with you? And is that necessarily true? Uh, or is that the complete picture? And what if we were to ask different kinds of questions? Might there be different kinds of possibilities, not only for understanding what's going on, but also for how we live with our own experience, because, you know, medicine might give us diagnoses, but they can't really tell us that much about our experience. That's on us. Uh, So, you know, that's what I do. I, as you say, I have this PhD in modern thought, and basically, PhD in modern thought means I ask these kinds of questions.
0: Well, and one of the reasons I I asked that and wanted you to go into it, because I was assuming that just that. That personality and the drive to take you into, you know, modern thought and asking those questions has probably impacted your journey with IBD significantly. And so just being able to ask those questions of, you know, what what is it I don't know? What is it we don't know? And uh, how can we heal? So. Let's start from the beginning. I know it's been a while since your first diagnosis, but take us back to the beginning of your journey with Crohn's disease and talk about, I think you were 13 years old when you got that diagnosis.
1: So, yes, indeed. Uh, So I was actually on a journey. Uh, That is to say, I was on a a cross-country trip in a station wagon with my parents, my two brothers and my cousin. So there were four boys, 14, 13, 12, and 11, in a dark blue station wagon with no air conditioning. Uh, And basically, I lost my shit. Uh, Literally? (laughs) Literally, figuratively, psychically, in every which way. Um, And so in the course of this cross-country trip, uh, I started... Not only was I incontinent, but you know, I started having wasting and uh, I lost a huge amount of weight in a very short period of time. <clears throat> so when we got back to the East Coast and we were dropping off my cousin <clears throat> at my grandmother's house, my grandmother opened the door. She took one look at me and then she started screaming. Uh, so at that point, <clears throat> my parents you know, knew something was wrong and we had gone to a few emergency rooms, you know, basically, they just gave me that, you know, chalky, you know, anti diarrhea crap, that didn't work at all. And you know what, but once my grandmother started screaming, uh, it became clear that something more serious was happening. Uh, So I started going to a bunch of different doctors, first, my pediatrician, who was like, Yep, this isn't your everyday diarrhea, then I went to a local hospital, where the internist, you know, did some x-rays, gave me some like weird foam that I had to inject in my anus uh, that <clears throat> didn't really do anything either.
0: Interesting that I'll jump in real quick. Uh, I think I had that same foam. I think it was misalamine <laughs> rectal suspension enema. So to think that, you know, here it was, not a lot has changed in 50 years, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Well, so, I mean, I'll jump ahead to, you know, but uh, to just... To say that, no, uh, not very much has changed. When I was in my 20s, after I had had a very acute episode, and, and when I almost died, and then I didn't, <clears throat> when I, um, one of my friends in graduate school, one of my best friends in graduate school, her father was Henry Janowitz, who was Dr. Krohn's protege. And so he had Dr. Krohn's office on Park Avenue. He had Dr. Krohn's desk. He had Dr. Krohn's filing cabinets. Um, and uh, and Henry actually was one of the best doctors I ever went to because he was like very old school. And he said to me, "Look, and he I, if you look it up, he and 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 Dr. Crohn wrote uh, a famous article in in the Journal of the American Medical Association describing like the etiology of Crohn's and in, in the early nineteen fifties. And he said to me, and this was like in the nineteen eighties. So you know." In the course of my career, we've, you know, we've learned some more things about Crohn's. We can diagnose it a little better. We have some, uh, you know, we have some treatments, you know, that are a little more effective. But basically, we don't know anything more now than we knew then. And <clears throat> unfortunately, 40 years later, that's still the case. I mean, now there are, you know, new drug regimes, you know, the so-called biologicals, The you know, monoclonal antibodies, you know, there's various different other things. But basically, you know, they're the the treatments for not just for Crohn's or IBD, but for all autoimmune illnesses are still what one recent medical survey calls the sledgehammer of immunosuppression. I mean, that's what they do. <clears throat> so, so basically what happened to me was that I got then sent to Johns Hopkins to a famous gastroenterologist who then, you know, sent me off to his resident. I had to be Immediately hospitalized his resident, who was not a great clinician, till I say, didn't have the greatest, you know, how the palpation thing, you know. And it's like, I hate when they do that, when they like palpate and then they go, Does this hurt? Does this hurt? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, asshole. That's why I'm here. You know, I told you it
0: does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? And this is when you were in your twenties or was this back? No, this was when I was
1: 13. First getting
0: diagnosed. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And so then I was in university of Maryland hospital and they did, you know, all of the various diagnostic things that they do. Like I like to say they left no orifice on (laughs) pro. It was like, you know, and, uh, Eventually they came in and, and, you know, delivered the diagnosis, you know, because it's a clinical, a teaching hospital, right? So it was a team, the team came in and they made their diagnosis and, you know, they told me what it was and they're like, it's, you know, you have Crohn's, it's an autoimmune illness. And, you know, I'm 13. Okay. I do have a big vocabulary, but that is not one of my words. Right. So then they are like, okay, let me, so then they try to explain to me, they say, well, it's like you're allergic to yourself. And I was like, I was like, "Mm, not really getting that one. So then they said, well, it's like part of yourself is rejecting yourself. And I I was like, okay, I'm still not exactly getting that. And then then finally they said, well, it's like you're eating yourself alive. Uh, Now that, okay, I could understand it, but that is something you should never tell someone. Not a 13-year-old, not, you know, that is just not a thing. Um, so basically that's what I thought for a long time. And at that point, uh, there were no monoclonal antibodies. There was just the delightful prednisone. Uh, so I started taking massive doses of prednisone when I was 13. I spent my 14th birthday in the hospital. Um, and I basically was on, I was on prednisone for 10 years. So, which I refer to as my adolescence on steroids you know, because at that point, this is before, of course, the internet, before, you know, self-help groups. So I had no idea what the side effects of prednisone were. Nobody ever mentioned them. Uh, The only way you, at that time, you could have found them out is if you went to a medical school library somewhere and did some research, which, you know, I was too young to do. Um, and, you know, basically I had all of the the worst side effects apart from uh, I was, I became incredibly obese. I was weighed like 250 pounds. Uh, you know, I still have all the stretch marks to prove it. Uh, I had the face, I had the, you know, but more than anything, I had all of the psychological symptoms. I had the anxiety, I had the depression, I had the mood swings <clears throat> and You know, I, I, you know, and I kind of knew something was wrong, you know, at one point I I said to my, I was like, I didn't just say, I was like begging my father. I was like, send me to therapy, send me to therapy. And my father said, you've seen too many Woody Allen movies. (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, You know, uh. I mean, now no one, first of all, no one will be on prednisone for 10 years. That's not even a thing, you know, it's like, um, and you know, of course now I have the osteopenia and I have the cataracts and all of the other things, but I'm alive. Hey, so that's the important part. I'm like, you know, and, uh, so yeah, so basically, you know, all of that was like, everybody was just like, well, he's an adolescent, you know, that's mood swings. That's what adolescents do. You know, it's like, whatever, Anyways, that's what I, you know, and basically, and I was completely incontinent. It never worked. I mean, if it worked, I would have been like, okay, but no, I was incontinent. So I went around with my little baggie with my underwear and my, you know, wipes and whatever, and, you know, the whole deal. Uh, And then when I was in graduate school, I went to Stanford and uh, I was getting my PhD in modern thought and I got much more acutely ill and I had... Uh, a small bowel obstruction at a certain point while I was visiting my parents and my parents lived in a, in a rural part of Northern Maryland and there weren't very good hospitals. And so I went to this local doctor's hospital, which isn't really a hospital at all, but it's, you know, where a bunch of doctors hang out or something. And, uh, and there was of course, no gastroenterologist. And <clears throat> so they didn't really figure out that I had a small bowel perforation Um, so, you know, they just put me on Demerol and until, you know, the pain sort of receded and then they just released me. And, you know, so I went, went back to graduate school at Stanford and well, it turned out, you know, I'd had this small bowel perforation they didn't know about it. But, and as a result, you know, I got all of these, uh, infections and abscesses in my, in my gut, but, uh, but nobody knew what it was. And so one day I was at the movies watching Disney's Tron uh, and I felt something was seriously wrong. And so I left the theater, rushed home uh, and sat on the toilet and then passed out. And uh, the next thing I knew I woke up and I was in a pool of blood in my Roommates were calling the ambulance. So I went to the hospital and this is Stanford hospital. So, okay, we're not in a bad hospital. Now we're in like state-of-the-art hospital. And uh, they did everything that, you know, all the tests that were available in 1982. um, And they couldn't figure out what was wrong. So they released me and then I had another bleed and then I had to go back. And this time I started having spiking incredible fevers at, on a really regular, like 18 hour cycle. So they, they knew I had some kind of infection, but they didn't know what, and, you know, so I'm, they, so I was lucky I got put in the, the celebrity wing, uh, the Hoover Pavilion. So I had like a really nice room, you know, and, uh, and, you know, again, it's the teaching hospital, right? Uh, and so there, all the teams come by and they're you know doing all the tests. And one day the infectious diseases team comes by, this is 1982. And i'm a young gay man and they say hey you know we just read in the cdc that uh there's this new thing that's happening to gay men we think it might be sexually transmitted you know it causes you know people get these you know kind of weird infectious diseases you know is there any chance that you might have that and i had my best medical one-liner ever i said not unless you believe in immaculate infection. And, <laughs> and we all laughed and moved on. But the irony of that is that it turned out that my greatest risk for serial conversion to HIV came from all of the blood transfusions, because that was before they could screen for anything. But then what happened is I had a massive, massive bleed out. And... uh they couldn't stop it and i had a, a out of body near death thing where i was like floating up in the room and and i knew something special was going on because i was like really calm and it was really peaceful and i'm like i'm not a calm and peaceful person you know like once like you know so I, and I, you know and there's like massive you know they're literally they were putting lines in every you know vein they could or you know any blood vessel they could find and i remember they you know they put me on the gurney and they rushed me down the hall to emergency surgery and you know i and i you know i I was above myself going down the hallway and then last thing i remember was like going into the operating room next thing i know i woke up in the icu Uh, And I'd had a small bowel resection and it turned out that I had massive liver abscesses that they had to excise. And I was then in the hospital for another six or eight weeks uh, because I was simultaneously having to take IV antibiotics because I was so septic. And I was being weaned off of the prednisone that I had been on for 10 years because Prednisone is, uh, interferes with tissue healing. So that's not a good combo. That is not a good combo. But while I was in there, in, back in the Hoover Pavilion in my lovely room, uh, I started spontaneously going into trances, which, okay, that was like really unexpected. Like, the, you know, my mother was a communist. My father was a physical chemist. They were both dogmatic atheists. There was, in my family, matter was all that mattered. I had no idea that anything else could happen. I just had my little, you know, Walkman on. I listened to music and I could go into this place that was just sort of very filled with light. And I could somehow take the light and I could just wrap it around, you know, the, the places that I'd been operated on, you know, To and I just thought it's like pain management. Like I was just like, you know, and and then once I did that, once I was like, then I could just drop into this other zone. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, that was just very calm, very light, very expansive, not the hospital, you know, just really not the hospital. And, uh, and at first that freaked all of the nurses and doctors out because they come in and they try to say something to me and I'd be like gone. But then they figured out. If they turned off my Walkman, I'd come out of it. So after that, nobody really thought anything about it until, well, nobody thought anything about it, including me, uh, until I I left the hospital. I had an exit interview with my surgeon. And he said this thing to me that just like, it's like one of these things that just like kind of seared itself into my brain. Uh, He said, you're the sickest person I've operated on in five years, who's still alive. So already I'm like, okay you've just freaked me out because like, of course I was 23. So I was not, I was in denial, even though I'd had the out of body thing, I was still in the denial of like how sick I'd been. At
0: 23 were invincible. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't because I'd been yeah. sick. For years, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. but I didn't want to think about dying. I mean, and, it, and, well, that's a whole other story. But uh, But then he said this other thing to me, which was like even more shocking, which he said, you're the sickest person I've operated on in five years who's still alive. And then he said, and I have no idea how you got better so quickly. And that really, like, I was like, whoa. Both because that was the first time I ever heard a doctor, let alone my Stanford surgeon, you know, say, I don't know. I mean, doctors now are more willing to say, I don't know. But in the olden days, they didn't say, I don't know. Um so they released me from the hospital but they failed to tell me that when you are taken off of prednisone too quickly you can have all kinds of psychological side effects including psychosis and <clears throat> um uh and uh and dissociation like, and so I wasn't psychotic, but I was highly dissociated, uh, And I just went around, I went back to my life, but I was just like in some state that, you know, was completely not fun. And uh, I was talking about it one day to one of my roommates and she's like, I can't deal with you. You need to go to therapy. I was like, Okay. So fortunately, and this was like, I have had so many of these weird coincidences, but fortunately one of my other roommates was um, just exploring her bisexuality. And so she went to this therapist in Palo Alto, who was at the time known as the lesbian sex expert. She had just written a book on lesbian sex death Uh, and in fact, when this, I only saw her for a short period of time, but in that period of time, she was on Oprah and my mother said to me one day, oh, I saw your therapist on Oprah talking about lesbian sex death. And I was like, okay. So, but the thing about Joanne was she was not the right therapist for me, clearly, except it was amazing. She was the perfect therapist because I walked into her office, which was like this hippie pad and it's out Palo Alto. I started telling her what was going on and then five minutes into it, she goes, stop. And she says, you're having a a drug withdrawal. My sister had Crohn's. She had the same thing happen. And she started seeing this other person that you need to go see. And that was how I got to, um, I got to Rachel Remen. I don't know if you know Rachel's. Oh, okay. Like, Every person listening to this with IBD, Crohn's, anything, you must check out Rachel Raman. Rachel Raman's written two New York Times bestselling books. One is called Kitchen Table Wisdom. The other is called Blessings My Grandfather Gave Me. Rachel was a Ivy League-trained Cornell Medical School graduate. She had... Um, who then did her residency at Sloan Kettering. And she was a pediatric endocrinologist at Stanford university hospital. And she also had Crohn's. She was diagnosed with Crohn's when she, I think was 16 f- and she's 20 years older than me. So like you can imagine like the, the treatments were really, really
0: primitive. Non-existent.
1: Yeah. Uh, and at a, at a certain point, uh, well, I literally at the point at which they offered her to be the head of the chair of pediatrics at Stanford, she quit. Uh, and she started a practice uh, with people with chronic and life-threatening illnesses and with what she calls recovering doctors like her. And it was amazing. She's, she's amazing. Uh, and her practice then was on a houseboat in Sausalito that had been Alan Watts old houseboat and, and that. I mean, that completely changed my life. I mean, that was unbelievable. Uh, In my first session with her, first I'm telling her about what's going on. And she, again, does the stop. And then she gets on the phone and she calls. And because I guess she was a Stanford, you know, doctor, you know, faculty member, somehow she got straight through to my gastroenterologist. And basically, I mean, she didn't yell at him. She's very soft-spoken and very... But while I'm sitting there, she's telling my doctor that he did not do his job in taking care of me because he did not tell me what was going to happen when I was weaned off of prednisone. And also I had seen him, you know, in that period of time. And, and I mean, it could be the case that I didn't tell him that I was like really out of it. Cause like, why would I tell my gastroenterologist that, you know, I'm like, but that was like amazing to have like this Stanford University Medical School faculty member, you know, Cornell trained MD talk very strongly to my my GI and tell him that that he had not taken care of me appropriately was like that was really mind blowing. I was like okay, And that was like the first part of the session. And then the second part of the session was her basically explaining to me that while medicine knows a lot of things and while, you know, medicine's reliance on bioscience, you know, has really helped it to develop, you know, certain kinds of technologies, medicine is not the be all and end all of our experiences of illness. And that really you know, that just changed my life. Just that um, <clears throat> I worked with her for a while. Uh, and then that, but that basically just started me on this path to doing all kinds of, of different kinds of healing practices at a certain point. She, because I had been so dissociated and because, <clears throat> you know, I had been on prednisone since I was 13 and been incontinent and not really wanted to be in my body in any kind of way. You know, she, she suggested I start doing Feldenkrais, which is a kind of movement meditation practice uh, that also, again, changed me and changed my life. It, it taught me, I mean, it, it everything just began to open. Like once the, like I had uh, this realization during this period, I was, it was very clear. I was in a, a woods um, and I, all of a sudden it felt like something, came up from the ground, or I don't know, it was like, suddenly, I felt like the trees were speaking to me, or someone was telling me something that wasn't me. And, and it was basically really clear. It's like, you can keep living the way that you've been living. And you can keep going through what you just went through. Or you can try to learn some new ways to live. And it was like, okay, I picked the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going for that. one. Something the new. Other one, didn't really work out for me.
0: And, and you were off medications at this point, right? Because you stopped the prednisone, <clears throat> which is the only thing you were on. And then, yes. were you under a gastroenterologist care at that point, all or was time. it just all the time? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, I stopped going to GIs. Uh, maybe like five or six years later. Well, when I well even later than that, um, because when I, I moved to New York to take uh my job at, at Rutgers, and so Henry Janowitz, who I. So he was still practicing then in Dr. Crohn's office with Dr. Crohn's desk and, you know, all of that. So he was my, the last, my last GI was Henry. Um, And then when he retired, which was maybe another five years after that, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to do anything now. Um, So, you know, so basically that what period in, in my early twenties, you know, really that crisis and. Just And then the realization that there were other ways to live, that there were other ways to understand what was happening to me, really just opened a whole new way of existing. And that's what I've been doing for the last 40 years, is exploring that capacity to heal. And so the book that you mentioned at the beginning on learning to heal or what medicine doesn't know is basically... It follows the, my learning curve, like the arc of my learning. But it also is about why don't we know these things? Like we all heal all the time. Everybody listening to this, because I'm assuming everybody's still alive that's listening, uh, has knows how to heal. It's an intrinsic capacity of all living organisms. It's one of the things that makes an organism an organism. And, and for most of uh, Western history, medicine was invented in the fifth century BCE as a, a different kind of therapeutic practice. It differentiated itself from temple healing, from prophet, you know, priests, from, you know, from herbalists, from all, there were other many kinds, there's always been modali- therapeutic modalities. Medicine creates itself specifically as a particular kind of therapeutic practice whose main resource is knowledge <clears throat> that's how, medicine doesn't rely on the gods doesn't rely on you know nature spirits it, it's knowledge and so medicine invents these technologies that we still know the main technology that makes medicine medicine it's called diagnosis diagnosis means etymologically by way of knowledge the corollary to diagnosis is called prognosis it means knowing in advance. <clears throat> medicine's job is to know shit. And we, and we go to doctors in the hope that they will know something about what's happening to us that we don't know. For 2,000 years after that, medicine's main practice was to support and encourage the natural power of healing. In Galenic medicine, it was called the vis meditrix naturae the healing power of nature. And most of what doctors could do was be concerned with what you ate, how you lived, how you rested, how you exercised. I mean, there were a few pharmacological things, mostly herbal, some mineral, <clears throat> you know, under really dire circumstances they could do surgery, but that was a very bad idea. I mean, mostly it was called it was what what was called regimen or actually literally The word diet, dieteta in Greek means form of life, life form. What doctors did was address themselves to how we live. Only at the end of the 19th century, when medicine began, as you know, as you were saying in the description of my book, medicine began to turn away from being an art of healing to becoming a science of medicine. Did the notion of healing drop out of medicine? Today doctors are not trained to be concerned with healing at best. They aspire to curing, you know, and curing is really curing is a fantasy there. There is curing is the fantasy that somehow whatever experience that you've just been having could somehow be magically disappeared and you could go back to the way you were before the experience started. Right that you that you could return to the life that you had before it was interrupted by whatever you know pathology medicine has decided to name your experience um, but that's that doesn't happen for anyone like we are changed by those experiences you know even, you know there's no way not to be changed so when medicine turns away from healing as a process, as an experience, as a possibility, and invests in cure, you know, part of what it does is it starts to teach us that what we want is to be cured, right? What we desire is not an experience, not a learning process, you know, but what we desire is to go back to the way things were before. And, you know, it may be the case, actually, that in the process of whatever the experience that we've had is, you know, maybe we could have learned something. Maybe we actually we could have become different in a more expansive way.
0: Yeah, for the better. For the better. Well, take me a little bit on your journey. So you you start this path of healing and we talk a little bit about diet and with it being the kind of the original medicine. I'm assuming that's probably where your journey started. Take me through a little bit of what your diet looked like because I'm assuming it it has played a role in your overall healing and what it's looking like now.
1: Uh, well, so I wouldn't necessarily say diet in the restrictive sense of like what I ingest and then I excrete, uh, uh, you know was a primary factor uh in the transformation i would say diet in the original etymological um, etymological sense of form of life that was the major thing that i mean i started doing all kinds of different movement practices therapy i started I started realizing I was a living being, like I wasn't just, you know, trapped in this diagnosis. I mean, literally, I was told that I wouldn't, because, you know, for Crohn's, for any auto mean, illness, there are no cures. I mean, it may be the case that <clears throat> for certain, I mean, as I was saying before, I don't really believe in cure, but, but there are some things, you know, where you know, you that, you know, your experience, uh, one's experience of, of pathology can be, you know, time limited, right? That's so the difference between an acute and a chronic illness like so, you know, so acute illnesses, yeah, maybe, you know, you could consider that you were cured of something that was flared up once and then, you know, whatever, and they treated it in your but <clears throat> not chronic illnesses, and and no autoimmune illnesses, there are no cures. So, you know, when I was 13, I was told, there's no cure for this. This is how you will live for the rest of your life, however long or short it may be. And what really changed my life <clears throat> was to, to be able to walk out of that story. Right? That for me, <clears throat> the possibility of imagining a future otherwise than I had been taught by medicine. That was the key. Which isn't to say that I'm not so grateful to medicine for that, you know. I mean, I'm alive. I'm very happy to be a poster child for you know this
0: but for modern be, medicine and exactly. <laughs> and surgery and the things that the things <laughs> it can do.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, absolutely. Hallelujah. But you know, but to walk out of the story. That they gave me when I was 13 year old, 13 years old, when they told me I was eating myself alive. Right. That that was what was the key. And you know, it took many years, decades probably, to, to really work through the ways in which I had incorporated, you know, that understanding, you know, not just psychologically though psychologically not just spiritually though spiritually but physically you know it we retain these things on the cellular molecular you know subatomic level i mean it's all so <clears throat> so diet as a um as like what i ingest i mean you know basically i i figured out what works for me and what doesn't work for me you know i i didn't know things uh, you know, I had never occurred to me. So, you know, so I, I, you know, I was able to develop patterns. I mean, basically I'm a total creature of habit. I've had the same exact breakfast for 35 years. I mean, you know, I do, you know, that when things work for me, I do that, you know, whatever. I discovered certain things like, uh, digestive enzymes, Very big for, apparently, for some reason, I don't know why, but for people with autoimmune illnesses, we often have a deficiency in hydrochloric acid in our digestive juices. And so I take beta-TN-HCL. That's very helpful. You know, I take the, I'm a slightly lactose intolerant. I take, you know, some of those enzymes. You know, I try to avoid, you know, things I don't eat, um, nightshades. The nightshades are not my friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're not friends to many people <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, you know but but I don't really I mean I've been very fortunate in that regard that hasn't been the path through which uh, I have found the most transformative you know, aspects of but but just learning the basic understanding that all of one's life, like, it isn't like, I mean, and that is something like Henry Janowitz, the doctor Crohn's, protege person. Uh, he said this thing to me in my first time that I ever, that I, that I had a, an appointment with him that again, like changed my life. Cause he said really simply, he's like, well, how has Crohn's affected your life? And I was like, Whoa, you mean like Crohn's and my life are different things like like i have a life and i have Crohn. i mean because i was so young you know when i was diagnosed so like that you know being able to separate it out and like oh wait i have you know i've been diagnosed with this thing i have certain kinds of symptoms there are certain things that <clears throat> exacerbate it you know uh <clears throat> if i stay away from those but but what about my life what about my life uh So in that sense, you know, that's why I said the etymological sense of of diet, dieteta, it's form of life, form of life. And so in that sense, diet has been crucial, right? Realizing that it's about the way we live. I mean, and that can involve all kinds of things, you know.
0: Well, talk to me about the mindset piece, because I'm sure that's got to be a big piece of the pie as well of just your mindset. You mentioned therapy, um, kind of the meditative type practices. Are you doing those? What does that look like and how has that helped with this overall evolution of finding health? Uh,
1: OK, so, yes, I. Um, I I I do everything. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so so that's check all the boxes. (laughs) Well, this is is how I would put it. Um, What I discovered was that if I desire healing, like if I desire, and if I hold it to be a value in my life, right, then I organize the way that I exist on a daily basis in relationship to those things if i was gonna say so i do meditate i have i go to therapy i have energy clearing i i've done a movement meditation practice called continuum for 40 35 40 years uh i do yoga i get rolf uh, i do acupuncture i mean like this is a like full body full life thing going on over here i mean and of course i'm super lucky you know I have a you know I have a really good job, I have really good health insurance. I can do all of this stuff. <clears throat> but you know I would say that if I was going to you know give the number one tip for uh I would say sleep, rest that you know and and what you know I learned to do was to use my diagnosis uh to help me. So, for example, uh, I got in my job, I got a disability diagnosis. Uh, so I never have to teach before 2.30 in the afternoon. I never have to teach more than two days a week. You know, I, I don't go to meetings if I don't feel, I mean, now we have Zoom, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, in, <laughs> but before Zoom, I mean... I, it allowed me to have boundaries that i'd never had before to be able to say it is more important to me to to be well and to to not have symptoms because what i came to realize is that if i if i changed again like how i thought of what my experience was rather than thinking of crohn's as an affliction right as something that was happening to me that w- from the outside that was tormenting me if i started to say It's like a barometer. Like if I'm getting symptoms, that means that something's out of balance. And my most important thing is to get back to whatever that balance is. I mean, that doesn't mean that I can't do certain things that require more effort or more whatever, you know, like, but only for limited periods of time. I can't live in a state of constant stress, I cannot live with constant anxiety. I cannot be exhausted. You know, that's just, that's my value system. And I'm really lucky because I have a job that allows me to do that. I can be a very effective teacher. I can be a a widely published scholar. Not everybody is you know, lucky enough for, you know, to to have as much control over the conditions of their life as I am. And I, and Mm -hmm. I really recognize that. But Um, I,
0: I think it's great to kind of put the bug in people's ears that, you know, you can start pursuing, you know, these conversations with your employer because you never know what, you know, no matter what industry, you never know how much of leeway that someone will give you to put those boundaries in place, because just as you mentioned, having those boundaries has such a subconscious effect, I think, because I know I was even lucky enough to be able to talk to my employer and I used to have an hour drive to work. And and so I didn't have to go in like right at 8 a.m. I was able to wake up, have this routine in the morning so that everything could be stress free. I didn't have to panic. And that alone put me in this space of I can be well and I can be calm and I can use this to continue to be better. So I think it's yeah. worth, you know, we might be lucky in the sense that our employers did that, but for someone listening, have that conversation. Maybe it's an oppor- you know, an opportunity for whoever is listening to take that and put it into their life.
1: Absolutely. And also, you know, let's face it, you know, bowel diseases, people have a lot of shame around, you know. You don't necessarily want to go to your employer and go, yeah. "Hey, I'm in con. <laughs> you know, yeah. I need to take a lot of bathroom breaks. And, <laughs> Have to know, poop a I, lot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, but all but you're right, absolutely to to be like open about it, and you know to like I was just talking to one of my clients, and uh, you know, and she started a group. She works for one, you know, Chase, big bank, you know. And, and she started a group for people with, you know, um, you know, uh, invisible disabilities, you know, uh, in her workplace uh, that and, you know, and that's a really important, you know, way of beginning to set boundaries and to also make connections with other people, because we're not the only ones who, you know, have these experiences. And, and I think also, like, for me, too, the morning routine, that's key. Like, my mornings are sacred. You know? <laughs> I mean, not only do I have the same breakfast every day, but I have a routine and I, and I meditate and, you know, and I poop a lot. And then, you know, it's... But, and then you're you know, ready but,
0: for the day. Exactly. And
1: then I don't have to worry, am I carrying an extra pair of underwear? or You know, uh, you know and it really, yeah, completely changes the trajectory of what's going to happen in the next, you know, 10, 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what do you, what would you say is the first step for someone listening to start their own path of healing and to start a journey of finding wellness within, um, because I don't, you didn't, well, first, before you answer that, are you, are you on any medications now? You're medication free, you're doing well, um, and so how does someone take that first step to achieve such a life well-lived?
1: Uh, so, well, okay, so I'm slightly lying that I'm not on any meds. I, I am on <clears throat> chlorostyramine because I had the small bowel resection. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, to, it binds with the bile. So I don't have burning diarrhea every day. Um, <clears throat> That's but, a good medication
0: it, to have then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very grateful for that. Uh,
1: and, the, and the positive side of it, it was actually, it was developed. It, it's initially, it was one of the first, you know, anti-cholesterol meds. And it doesn't go into your system at all. So, but the the side effect for me is that uh, I have low cholesterol. Hey, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's good. But in terms of first step, I would say the same thing that, you know, was my first step was to, to real, to, to make the affirmation, you know, that, you know, I desire to heal and that healing is a value for me and, you know, and that healing comes from within that, healing is about our own intrinsic capacity to transform the conditions in which we live, that all living organisms. I mean, that's how I would define healing. I define healing as, you know, uh, our capacity as living organisms to enhance the quality of our life in the conditions in which we live and whatever our conditions are. I mean, you know, however restrictive or however expansive they are, you know, by making the intentional, uh, dedication to oneself that I I am going to try to enhance the quality of my life by affirming that this is a por- an important value for me. I'm not going to let myself not be the center of my life, right? And that, you know, I mean, my other, like, I, I try to, I tell people, you know, I'm like, compassion begins at home, you know, it's like w- when... You know, we often have things that are calling us to do things from the outside, to like take care of others. We have responsibility, all of <clears throat> but in order to do that, you really have to begin here with yourself, with your own life, and and from the affirmation for yourself that this is important, the way I live is important. My vitality is important. And it's from that place of valuing my vitality that I can give to others. You know, otherwise it just becomes something that's draining us, that it becomes another thing that's just sucking our energy, you know? So, I mean, so I think that for me, the intentionality, there. there's many, many techniques that you can do. There's many, many strategies, you know, but... <clears throat> it all begins with the decision for yourself to say, I desire to heal. I desire, you know, I I desire to live otherwise, you know, which doesn't mean giving up on what my doctors are telling me. It means putting it in a context and understanding they're telling us what they know in the best way that they're able to, but We are all so much more than we know. Knowing is a tiny portion of our intelligence that humans have developed in the course of our evolution, and we know a lot of really great things. But there is so much more that we do not know, you know, and that (laughs)
0: mind-boggling.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, you know, and so you know, so if, if I was, you know, gonna from my grand old perspective of you know having this being my you know golden anniversary of crohn's and i and i am really really healthy and and that's a really weird thing too it's like i'm i'm going to be 65 this year oh uh, you know <clears throat> my age cohort everybody's like oh i'm getting this i'm getting that well okay one of the advantages of being really sick when you're young is like at this point i'm like okay first of all been there done that second of all i'm so happy to just be here and but third of all i am much more vital and alive now than i've ever been i mean one of my teachers says this thing which i you know i like to share with everyone you know she says look death will come for all of us at some time when it comes for you make sure that you are as alive as you can possibly be and For me, that's like my guiding principle. You know, whatever we have, be as alive as you possibly can be. Strive to be alive as alive as you possibly can be in each moment, you know? And that's something I totally have, I would never have learned had I not been through all of the things, you know, I've been through. I mean, I don't want to be one of those like Pollyannas, like, but, you know, I learned from Crohn's at an early age, and, <clears throat> and I've had many major traumas in my life, and, but what I learned from the, the trauma of having lived through Crohn's and having survived it is that oftentimes the things that were most challenging for me, most devastating for me in my life actually turned out to be the greatest learning opportunities, in part because I had to learn to live otherwise. And for me, that's always the, the point is, you know, as long as we're living, as long as I'm living, I want to keep learning. I mean, that's why my book is called On Learning to Heal. You know, you never, it, there's no end to learning to heal. Like, you don't heal the same way twice. Every time, you, ha- you have to learn something more.
0: There's always more to learn.
1: There's always more to learn.
0: Now, do you chronicle your whole journey in your book? Let's come back to your book. Do you chronicle your whole journey of the different things that you've tried and done and to find as you've learned to heal? Is that all a part of your story?
1: So I don't... Not everything. Yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That'll be in the next one. No. <laughs> uh,
1: so the, the first part of the book is about... Uh, my experiences with medicine and what medicine told me and then why medicine thinks the way that it does, why why the frameworks that it's developed are the ones that it communicates to us, why when medicine gives us therapeutic uh, advice or or not just advice, but actually when medicine gives us prescriptions or surgeries or whatever it's not just doing it's not just giving us technical you know means it's also giving us ways of thinking like you know i always say like when i took those you know all the those little white prednisone pills for all those years you know i was basically ingesting not just a medication but also a way of thinking um so the first part of the book is like, well, why does that way of thinking seem to make sense to us? And the second part of the book is the key, like certain key things that I learned when I moved beyond that, When I began to learn, the techniques that worked for me, but also it, it's not just, again, about the techniques. It's about how I learned to understand what it meant to be alive in a new way through doing different kinds of practices. Um, and why those practices might be things that would help others. Um, not necessarily the specific practices. You don't have to do, you know, the continuum or the things that I felt most helpful. But but the the reframing of how we understand what our experiences with with you know chronic illness with. Near death experiences that so the book is it's it, it it's structured around that learning curve for sure. That's wonderful. Um, yeah,
0: and where can people find the book? Is it um online, EPUB? I think you just it was just published last year, correct? It's uh recently no, this, year, this, this year, this year, this year. Okay, yeah. I thought it was late December 22, <laughs> but 23,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, January 23.
0: Hot off so, the yes. press, where can they I, find uh, it?
1: <laughs> um, so. So, well, if people are interested, they can find it on my website. Um, I, as I mentioned briefly, I have a counseling practice, a therapeutic practice for people who are interested in healing and it's called Healing Counsel, And the website is healingcounsel.com. And you can buy the book on there or you can buy it on Amazon or you can buy it on all of your favorite bookstores. It's from Duke University Press. It's available widely. Um, so yeah, uh, and if people are interested in talking to me if you go on my website, I am happy to talk to people, you know, I give 15 minute free session just to see if, you know, if healing counsel is something that might be of use to you. And, you know, I'm happy to share what I've learned in my long journey. I know many of your listeners probably have less experience <clears throat> with with you know, autoimmune illnesses than I do. I've had a very extensive. <laughs> so a few I'm years. <laughs> oh yeah. That's nothing. You're a baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've had it 20. So you hit your 50th anniversary. So I actually hit my 20th anniversary with Crohn's uh, this year. So, <laughs> But I'm still, that's, it's only a fraction of. <laughs> well, no,
1: exactly. It's like, what, cause you know, I teach 20 year olds, right? So it's like when I look at them now, I think, oh, God, you're so young. You, don't know, you have no idea. So that's why I say, dude, you have no idea.
0: <laughs> you're still a baby. <laughs> I got more to learn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what haven't we touched on? We have covered a lot uh, in this past hour. What is What have we not touched on? Or is there anything that you want to share and that we haven't covered with the people who are listening today?
1: Um. I guess just simply um, don't don't be satisfied with don't be satisfied with regimes that are not helping you to be as alive as you can be. It's not simply a matter of treating an illness. You know, like the thing that I said that Dr. Janowitz said to me, you know, it's like, how does Crohn's affect your life? What's, what, what's most important is your life. This is something that is part of your life. So how can we all take the things that are obstacles in our life and transform them into opportunities to live more expansively? Um, that's, I guess, if I was going to say... I have any message that would be that. It's like, you know, keep learning to heal. It's, it's, there's always more. There there's is more.
0: That's a beautiful note to end on. And with that, I'm going to put all of your links in our show notes so that people can go to your website, find you, find your book, and find you online. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to oh, you. Oh,
1: thank you so much. You no, know, this is wonderful. And thank you for doing this. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, there was nothing. <clears throat> there were, you know, there were no resources. Uh, and it's really wonderful that- that,
0: it's It's hard to think about because I know, like for me, listening and seeing and hearing other people's stories, even just reading blogs, you know, over my twenty years of reading other people's journeys, fifty years ago, when our, when you didn't have an iPhone to just <laughs> you, know, you couldn't go to Google. Um, it's a very isolating, um, it's a very isolating disease. It's so comforting to know in a weird way that you're not the only one going through this terrible, crappy disease, all about crap.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Thank you for listening. If you love these interviews and want to support the podcast, Visit my website at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link to show some love. Or visit my featured products page to shop the products and companies that I love and support. If you have an IBD story that you want to share, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com or fill out the form on my website, Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And always remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going.